I'm going to begin our lesson this evening in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, looking at verse 12. We read here concerning King Asa. It says that in the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his malady was severe. Yet in his disease he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. We ask the question this evening, is anyone sick among you? That question actually comes from a passage of Scripture in James 5, and we will note that passage here before too long. But as I go from week to week considering what to preach about, I always have a number of ideas, but sometimes certain things just seem to click based on things that might be going on, uh, a need that is perceived. And as I thought about this question, I immediately answered yes. And I think that you'd all agree that as we consider our list of those in need of prayer at this time, our list has grown quite large. We have a number of individuals, both of our congregation and relatives, close friends of our brothers and sisters here who are sick at this time. And so I thought we would spend some time this evening thinking about how to approach that from a scriptural standpoint. What should we be doing for those that are sick? What can be done? And the first thing that I want us to think about is the power of prayer, because obviously we all understand, as the scriptures point out, that prayer is an invaluable tool given to us by God. It is amazing to stop and think that we as created creatures would have the ability to be able to speak and be heard by the one that created us by his power. Especially given the fact that we've all sinned and fallen short of his glory. But nonetheless, through his son, he has allowed us this avenue that we can approach him, that we can lay our burdens at his feet, and not only know that he hears us, but know that he cares and that he answers our requests. Most of our scriptures are going to require you to have a Bible handy and follow along tonight. And so I encourage everyone to grab a Bible if you've not already so that we can read together. We're going to begin in First John chapter 5, and look at verses 14 and 15. There John says, This is the confidence that we have in Him, in Christ, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. 
And so, John, through the Spirit, tells us that if we will approach God humbly, asking things in accordance with His will, that He will hear our prayer and consider our petitions. Come a few pages back to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 2 and read down through verse 8. There James writes and says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally, we might say freely, and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But notice verse 6 says, Let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So here again, we find that prayer is prescribed for those that are in need, specifically here. We find that James is considering a lack of wisdom and approaching God in prayer and asking for that wisdom as being appropriate. But we also see that he is stressing the need for us to be confident in the fact that God is there. And again, that he will hear and answer our petitions. As we think about this idea of the power of prayer, it should be noted that not only should we apply this from the standpoint of those of us that perhaps are healthy and thinking about those that are sick, we should be praying for them, but this also applies directly to the one who is sick or in need in that way. And I wanted to note that here because you notice the first part of what we read, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, I know that there are some amongst us tonight who have been in the midst of trials regarding their health. And it's probably, I would guess, it would seem counterintuitive to say you should be glad about that. But we have to understand where he goes with that thought. It's not that we are glad or should be glad that we're suffering, but we look to the end result. We look at the big picture, in other words. And we see that these tests of our faith, which is really what they are, if we will continue to be faithful to God, will produce within us positive things. They will make us stronger and they will lead us to a home with him. Now, at the beginning of the lesson, I read a verse concerning King Asa, and it talked about how he acquired this disease, and instead of seeking God for assistance with that, he went to the physicians. And we're going to talk about physicians as we continue through our lesson. We, of course, want to recognize that there's nothing wrong with 
seeking a physician to assist us with physical ailments, but primarily we need to be seeking God's help. And to illustrate that as a contrast to the approach that Asa took, I want us to come back to 2 Kings. Second Kings, and we're going to go to chapter 20. We'll start there in verse 1. It says, In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. So here we have another king of the Israelites, and in a very similar condition to what Asa was in. It says that as Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, went to him and said, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. And he turned his face toward the wall, and notice what he does. First, first thing that he does, says he prayed to the Lord. And he said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray how I have walked before you in truth, and with a loyal heart. And I have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened, verse 4, before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him and said, Return, and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add to your life fifteen years. And I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And so we see a, a powerful example here of where someone who was he was about to perish from the earth. His first response, his first action upon hearing that news is to go to God and ask for God's help. And we see that God heard that prayer and responded favorably to that prayer and extended his life. Now we understand, of course, that Sometimes God's answer to our prayers is not a granting of whatever request it might be. Sometimes the Lord's answer is simply no. And so how do we respond when the answer is no? Let's come over here to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll consider the example of Paul, who was plagued by a thorn in the flesh, as he describes it, something that affected his physical self. And he, like Hezekiah, went to God in prayer about this issue, asking that it might be taken away. But we find that in this instance, God did not permit that request. And I want us to note how Paul responds to that. And so here in 2 Corinthians 12, we'll start in verse 7. Now, in the first part of the chapter, Paul had been expressing 
the greatness of revelations that he had been given by the Lord. And so, as he's wrapping up that thought, he says, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of these revelations. He says, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger, notice, of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And so we see that he identifies the source of this unwanted problem. And we'll come back to that uh, a little bit later on, which is why I mention it. So notice verse 8, it says, Concerning this thing I pleaded with the Lord three times, that it might depart from me. But notice God's response was, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And notice how he responds to that. Paul says, Therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions and distresses, for Christ's sake. For he says, when I am weak, then I am strong. And what does he mean by that? Well, he means that oftentimes our physical weaknesses or needs allow us to be spiritually stronger because we depend, as we ought to always, more on the Lord for our help. Regardless of what might come as a result of our prayers, one thing that we have to remember is that God has promised us peace of mind. He's promised us a peace that passes all understanding, and that applies to every situation we might envision or might go through during our time here on this earth. And Paul writes about that in Philippians chapter 4, beginning there in verse 6. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. And I believe it's that truth that allowed Paul to respond the way he did in regards to that thorn in the flesh that he had. Because he recognized that despite the physical unrest he could have a spiritual peace. And that peace would allow him to persevere. It ties into our hope of heaven someday if we are faithful. Let's come now to James chapter 5. And we will recognize the passage from whence we have borrowed our title. James chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 13. And so we read there, is anyone among you suffering? What is the prescription? Let him pray. 
Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? He says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. So that ties in with what we've been talking about, this idea of praying for each other. He goes on and talks about this idea of anointing this individual with oil in the name of the Lord. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But verse 15 says, the prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. He says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, the anointing with oil here might seem somewhat confusing. And as I studied these things, the best explanation that I could come up with for that was that most likely this was a reference to uh, the spiritual gifts that would have been available in the early church. We know that from Pentecost onward for a time that these miraculous gifts of the Spirit, which included gifts of healing, uh, were given as a way to demonstrate or confirm the word that was taught. And we find a reference to these gifts of healing in connection specifically with the anointing of oil back in the book of Mark. If you turn there to Mark chapter 6, and read with me beginning in verse 7. It says there that Jesus called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. And he commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there until you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Surely, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And so these disciples heed the command that they're given. Verse 12 says they went out and they preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons. And notice it says they anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And so we know, of course, that those spiritual gifts were finite in nature, as we'd said. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 10 references that, talks about that which is in part, those spiritual gifts which were like pieces of a puzzle until the puzzle was ultimately put together in the form of the written word, that those things would ultimately uh, be temporary or would pass away. And it says there that when that which is perfect comes, that would be the time in which that would happen. But nonetheless, that does not detract from the power of the passage there in James 5, because the power of prayer is what is ultimately stressed there, as we noted especially in verse 16. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And so these instructions would pertain to us today 
just as they had to the early church. Next point that I want us to think about is the need to take care of ourselves. Now, we certainly need to, first and foremost, always depend upon the Lord and recognize our dependence upon the Lord. But that does not take away our responsibility to try and take care of ourselves, uh, to keep ourselves in good health, to visit physicians, perhaps, if we would find ourselves dealing with some kind of injury or ailment of some kind. And we find references made to that uh, in different scriptures. And I've noted just a few places here that thought we would look at together. In Matthew chapter 9, we find a comment that Jesus made. And on this occasion, Jesus was visiting with Matthew, who was a tax collector. And of course, the Pharisees were objecting to that because... They had a very low opinion, as you know, of tax collectors. And so in verse 12, when Jesus hears these objections that they're making, he responds by saying, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but who does? He says, those who are sick. Now, obviously, in this context, he's talking about higher concepts than just our physical ailments. He's talking about spiritual sickness. But nonetheless, the point remains valid that when we are sick, we would naturally consult those who would have the knowledge and the training to assist us with whatever problem we might be facing. Again, it's not that we don't go to God and ask for God's help in these things, but we also do what we can with what power we possess. Come a few pages over to Luke chapter 10. Notice here in the story of the Good Samaritan. Remember the one that fell amongst the thieves, the robbers, and they beat him up, left him for dead, took all of his possessions. And of course the story is about how different ones who supposedly were following after God. Remember the priest walked by on the other side of the road, ignored this man who needed help. A Levite likewise does the same thing. But finally this Samaritan comes along and of all people, he's the one that has mercy on this individual. And in verse 34, it talks about how he went to him and notice bandaged his wounds and poured oil and wine on them. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn, and notice took care of him. So here again we have another example where uh, we have a responsibility not only to try and take care of ourselves, but to take care of one another uh, when we find injuries or, or sicknesses amongst us. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, We see where Paul here is writing to Timothy who had some kind of an ailment relating to his stomach. And we find that Paul encourages him to uh, use wine in this instance as a, uh, as a medicine or a form of uh, medicine. 
to try and treat that particular ailment. Verse 23 says, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. It was common practice uh, at that time in that place that they would mix some wine with their regular table water. And the purpose of that was that that wine would help to kill bacteria and things that would be in the water. And different ones have studied this particular verse and theorized different things. And uh, I, I feel that the, the majority have kind of landed on the conclusion that most likely Timothy and his desiring to not in any way appear as though he was doing something that would be sinful, in other words, drinking something that would ultimately cause him to be uh, drunken, was probably abstaining from that mixed drink and was drinking just the, the straight water. And it would seem that that was causing him to, as we could understand, have some, some medical issues as a result. And so Paul is encouraging him to apply this wine in a medicinal sense and try and work on that that problem. In the previous chapter there, in chapter 4, in verse 8, here again we find uh, Paul writing, and of course he's commentating about the excellence of godliness in comparison with, uh, as an example, bodily exercise. And obviously the primary focus of this verse and the surrounding passage is we need to, above all else, be seeking godliness because that's what's lasting. But nonetheless, sometimes we maybe skip over and and fail to recognize that he's also acknowledging that there is value in bodily exercise, taking care of ourselves again. It's just that it's not lasting eternally. It's only good for while we're here on this earth. So we can see that the Bible certainly shows us that we have a responsibility to take care of ourselves the best we can, Uh, but we mustn't go so far, uh, again going back to the example of Asa, where we only depend upon ourselves or other fellow human beings who might have a particular training or expertise, uh, depend on that alone as our source of help. We must ultimately go always to God. The next point of our lesson, and this is especially for those who are perhaps facing an ailment of some sort. Now it can apply to those affected by that, but don't be deceived into blaming God. I'm sure we've all seen that. Uh, Maybe we ourselves have been guilty of that at one point or another. Maybe we currently uh, are of that opinion that whatever difficulty we're facing, whatever um, sickness is upon us, well, it must be God's fault. And we we point the finger at God and we say, why would God do this to me? Doesn't God care? And people kind of give up on their faith when these difficulties come into their lives. We see that a lot. Now you remember earlier when we were reading there in 2 Corinthians 12, 
how that Paul was talking about that thorn in the flesh. Remember how he described it? And I had made a note of it then. I told you we'd come back to that. Remember, he said it was a messenger, not of God, but of Satan that was buffeting him. And so Paul there rightfully identifies the source of these difficulties that sometimes come into our lives. It is not from God, it is from the enemy. And we see that very well illustrated back in the book of Job. If we come back there for just a moment, we're not going to read the entirety of these first couple of chapters, but I want us to just notice a portion of chapter 2. Now, at this point in the narrative, uh, Job has lost a lot. He's lost the lives of his sons and daughters, uh, much of his uh, possessions, many of his possessions have been lost in these natural disasters. And so we find there at the conclusion of chapter 1 that despite all of this and despite his grief at all this loss, that Job continues to keep his faith in God. And he makes a statement there in verse 21, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we find in verse 22 that in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. And so picking up in chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And Satan answered, He said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth upon it. Kind of brings to mind what Peter writes in 1 Peter 5.8, right? He's a roaring lion. He's walking about all around us, seeking whom he may devour. Verse 3 says uh, that the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? It's exactly what he'd said earlier on there before Satan afflicted him in the ways that he had. God goes on and says, He still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. But now stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself as he sat in the midst of the ashes. We find that Job's wife, sometimes we uh, were kind of hard on her, but I think that when we really think about and put ourselves in her shoes, she probably spoke these things from a good place uh, with good intention, even though she was obviously incorrect in what she was asking him to do. You can imagine if you saw your spouse suffering in the way Job was suffering, how you would want them to be in a place of peace, 
whatever it would take, right? We would want to do anything we could. And so she asks him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Why not curse God and die? But notice he says to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And again, we find that in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. We need to remember that death and suffering, all these things came into the world because of who? Well, it's kind of twofold. It was because of man, because Adam and Eve decided to transgress the commandment of God, but who persuaded that to take place? Satan, right? In the form of the serpent there in the garden. We come back here to Genesis chapter 3 after Adam and Eve have eaten of that fruit and God confronts them and is now explaining what is going to happen as a result of their choices. Look there with me at verse 17 beginning as he speaks to Adam. God says, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and you've eaten from the tree of which I've commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And so, these terrible things that characterize our existence here on this earth, death and suffering, hardship, it's all a result of sin. And sin is a result of temptation. And temptation is a result of the efforts of our enemy. And so when we find ourselves dealing with these difficult things, we need to remember, James wrote in James 1 and verse 17, that every good and perfect gift comes from God. The Father of lights, as he's described there in that verse. Everything that is undesirable, everything that is painful and difficult, these are the efforts of our enemy to rip us away from our God and cause us to ultimately be eternally separated from him. Finally, tonight we need to remember to always focus on the big picture. Remember that this life is but a vapor that appears for a short time and then vanishes away. Find that in James 4 and verse 14. And we need to remember that Despite these difficulties we face for a brief moment, there is something beyond our wildest dreams that awaits us if we are faithful to our Creator. Notice with me the words of Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. He says there, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. 
I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And so finally he says there is. Not there might be or there hopefully is, but there is. Laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Back here in Second Corinthians chapter 4. Start reading with me there in verse 16, and we'll continue into chapter 5. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, this body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In this body we groan, and we earnestly desire to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given to us the Spirit as a guarantee. And so we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. One final passage I'd like us to consider on this point. 1 Corinthians 15. Here we read, describe what is going to happen at the end of time. What is going to happen to those who accept God's grace through Christ? Beginning in verse 20, it says, Now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, as we had noted not long ago, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as an Adam all die, even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ being the first, and afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. And then comes the end. When Christ returns, the end will be here. 
And what is going to happen at that time? He is going to deliver, he goes on to say, the kingdom, which is what? The church. Colossians 1.13 tells us that we've been translated out of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, those of us that have put him on in baptism. And so at that time, he is going to deliver this kingdom that he died to establish. He's going to deliver it to God, the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And notice the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. At that time, there will no longer be pain, suffering, death for those who have been faithful to him. And we must continually focus on that goal, focus on that hope, no matter what we are facing here on this earth. Is anyone sick among you? We need to pray. We need to help ourselves the best we can. We need to make sure that we assign blame where it is due, not to God, but to he who seeks the destruction of our soul. And we need to always stay focused on the hope that is before us, that hope of eternal life with God through Christ. We'll close tonight with John chapter 10. Verse 27, Jesus is speaking and he says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them, notice, eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. If we are in the Lord, there is no one who can snatch us out of his care and protection. The only way that we can be removed is if we willfully choose to step away from him. I hope that these thoughts have been a blessing to you this evening. And I pray that we will all strive to be mindful of each other in the days ahead, in our prayers, in our efforts just to check in on each other and to help each other physically in any way that we, we can. Let's keep in mind those that are in need. And let's ultimately always depend upon God for his help in these times of need. Tonight, if there's anyone here who needs to come forward and ask for prayers or needs to make a correction in their life in any way, we have reserved this time to accomplish that, to accommodate those needs. And so as we stand and sing the song that Matt has selected, uh, if there's anyone that is in need, please let those things be known by making your way up to the front.